재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Artistic Wanderings is our weekly excursion into the world of various types of art. Mark Wilson usually takes us on that journey. This week, the journey has come right into the studio. Mark's brought a special guest today. And I want to remind everyone, uh, if you're in a position to do it, fire up our Facebook page on your mobile device, Mark consistently makes a wonderful video each week showing off some of the stuff we're talking about and he's gotten this fantastic new toy that keeps his smartphone steady <laughs> as he makes the video <laughs> so the videos are getting just really really high end <laughs> welcome mark good morning kirk glad to be here so what are we talking about and who is this nice person you've brought Right. Uh, before we introduce today's special guest, Samantha Blumenfeld, I really need to point out that if it were not for this person, I probably wouldn't have like half of the material I'd have for Artistic Wanderings. Really? Because uh, Sam, Sam, she uh, will just message me and say, hey, Mark, there's something going on. You should check this out. I'll get you in contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. She's, she's my eyes and ears, essentially. So, okay. Sam, we're just going to cut out the middleman and have you come in next week. Is yeah, I was, a, I was a bit worried it was going to come to that, and you just said it. So, jeez. Oh, man. Uh, I'm just playing on your insecurities. Mark. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and it's pretty interesting because uh, Sam was one of the very first people that I've met for Artistic Wanderings because she's part of the curating team Crazy Multiply, which we've... Who we've talked about many Crazy times. Crazy Multiply. You're always talking. Sam, can I ask you about that? Crazy Multiply. Welcome, first off. Thank you. It's great to be here. And um, I, Crazy Multiply, where did you get that name for your sort of art collective? Well, so it was started by three women, Amy Smith, Laura McDonald, and Olivia McNair back in 2012. And um, they got it from some French translation of the word cancer, which essentially translated to crazy multiply in that it's always growing and it's always changing. Wow. That's a bit dark, but it's also very evocative. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, a lot of the imagery they were using was a little bit darker, a little bit more esoteric. Mm-hmm. And so the aesthetic has changed over time. Well, I mean, you can say that something goes viral or that an idea is contagious. And I suppose these are sort of epidemiological metaphors and memes. They don't always have to be bad, right? Uh, if you have an idea or a feeling spreading like cancer, that's a, a good thing, to put it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird to say it, but I guess that's, that's true anyway. That's right. And when did, when did you join the team, Crazy Multiply? Um, I guess it was in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined because Amy and then another member, Hallie, was part of it. And it was, a lot of the members had left already, and so Amy was the last uh, founding member that was still there. And she was interested in just continuing the collective, and I had a little bit of a different direction that I was interested in pursuing. And Amy was open to it. And shortly afterwards, Hallie left because she was pregnant and had her child. So mm-hmm. yeah. so most of the best sort of collectives or organizations have a mission statement. Do you guys at Crazy Multiply have sort of a like a single mission statement? It's changed over time, depending on the members. Right now, our biggest focus is on raising women's voices in the community and globally. This is very relevant with everything yeah, that's going on, yeah. right? Raising women's voices. Uh, What does that mean to you? It just means providing women with a platform that they're often not afforded based on the fact that they're women. Mm. So, Yeah, even I've noticed, uh, I checked your website and it's also had a really big rehash and it really focuses on that, right? Yeah, and um, we've had some recent members come and go and we're possibly talking with some new members. And so we really wanted to solidify our concept and our mission statement. How do you execute that? When you say, I'm going to raise women's voices, is it a matter of uh, thematically curating uh, women-oriented content or just uh, making sure that you have a certain quota of women artists? Or what's the, the sort of mode of executing that? 
A lot of it comes naturally because we are women curators. So a lot more women artists are interested in submitting to our calls for work. But also we try to have events that are themed around women or the female experience. Mm. Are you an artist? Yes, I am. What do you do? Mostly painting, but I also do printmaking. Hmm. And what kind of subject matter do you deal with? What would, would somebody say in the art archives is the theme of uh, Samantha Blumenfeld's opus? I guess I would say internal landscapes. Internal landscapes. Yes. Hmm. Imagined landscapes. So stream of consciousness kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Hmm. That transitions into another field that you're uh, getting into or you're very deep into now, uh, art as therapy. Yes. And definitely like working through art therapy in my personal life and in my personal experience is what inspired this new body of work and this mm. new direction artistically. Yeah, can you, it, that, that is called uh, the, the thing that you run is called creative coping. Yes. And can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So for me, I was uh, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder a few years ago. And in my personal experience, just doing art therapy, even individually, like on my own, was really helpful in my recovery. And so it was something that I talked with several professionals that I wanted to bring it out into the community and make it available for other women who had been through similar experiences, mm. just to make it available for them. Because I know sometimes with therapy, there's this really high threshold and this high price tag that can make it inaccessible to certain groups of people. Sure. I mean, it seems intuitively that uh, art would make a good therapeutic activity. But what is it specifically about art that uh, that made it useful in your personal case? I think the idea to bring up intuitive imagery and to work intuitively and see like what is the subconscious trying to say mm. and then looking at that and reflecting on what it really means now and in your present experience. It's parsing the subconscious, right? Yes. It's almost like dream interpretation in a wakeful state because you're trying to reach down and mine those those subconscious thoughts. Yeah, and it's really important. It's really important, even when you're looking at like dream interpretation, to really look at how, don't go online and like look at what the symbology means, but really, what does it mean to you? And that's the number one thing that it needs to, that you need to keep in mind. That kind of goes back to what you were just talking about, your focus on internal landscapes yes. and everything. Mm -hmm. mm. Is it a, uh, a process of self-interrogation? Are you actively kind of searching? Or would you say there are parallels to meditation where you, you kind of wait patiently and artistic ideas sort of bubble up the way thoughts would bubble up in the process of meditation? I think it just depends on where I'm feeling emotionally and like what kind of experiences I'm going through. Um, sometimes it will be like a latent experience that I've already had and then maybe it'll come out into a drawing and then I'll think maybe I should develop this drawing further and try to understand it more because mm. every every iteration is a new interpretation. And yeah. so there's certain pieces of work that I'll return later and reinterpret to try to get more meaning out of them. The other thing that occurs to me is similar to meditation. I mean, sometimes the path to get to the, the, the brighter place is to go into the darker place first, right? I mean, uh, things will bubble up and pop up that uh, intimidate you, you know, put you in a, a state of emotion. Is, is that the way art is when you use art as therapy? Will it take you temporarily to dark places and be a, a bit of a struggle? And then you get the artwork done and you've, you've got a, a handle on it? For me personally, the experience was something I was drowning in. And then art was sort of like the, the lifesaver that like kind of kept me tethered to reality. Mm. And so I was able to navigate like these really intense rushes of emotion by just drawing through them or painting through them. Mm. And I'm really interested, too, because of the setup with curative, creative uh, coping. Uh, 
you have it's a group of of women and also now you just started a group of men as well That's and correct. so they go to these places how does that how does that go when it comes to um the stuff that they display and share i, I mean i'm sure there are some pretty dark places that, how does that go Well, it's interesting because a lot of people sort of go into it blind, like they're just drawing and they don't really have any expectations of what the drawing is. And then we talk about it in a group setting with other members and it brings up other associations for them that maybe they didn't discover initially. It's always difficult to talk about visual art in a radio medium. But if we were to uh, put up some of your works from some of the period when you were working through Uh, your trauma, what would those images be like? Would they be, uh, would they have any literal uh, degree to them or are they purely um, sort of interpretive images, abstract? What kind of stuff would I be seeing? Actually, most of it was portraiture. Okay. Portraits of yourself. Yes. And sort of like a different, like expressive modes or just depending on like the emotional state that I was in. So Mm. sometimes it would be like watercolor, line drawing, really heavy oil pastel or just chalk. Mm. Mark has art ever been uh, excuse me a form of therapy for yourself yeah i think so uh when i was uh, in university and kind of exploring my mediums and what i could do i think i i had a big like identity kind of trying to figure out what that was all about being korean adoptee in america so mm-hmm. a lot of my work had a lot to do with that too I think a lot of people think, and I, I would rank myself among them too, growing up, you think art has to be really representative, you know? You know, if you can't draw that house or that forest, then don't do it, you know? You're not meant for art. Um, and we don't get a very, in, in so many cases, a holistic view of what art's supposed to be. Did you have a, sort of a special teacher or an artistic upbringing where that afforded you an, an idea that art could be a key um, to sort of unlocking your, uh, your therapy, your you know, path home? Uh, personally, I just stumbled upon it. The experience that I had studying art was really, it left me really disenchanted. And I actually stopped doing art for a number of years after that. And it was just much later when I started to work in education and the opportunity was brought to me to possibly run an art therapy course for young children that I realized how beneficial it could be for me and for other people. Mm. What was the path in terms of, now? I mean, you've taken art and turned it into a career and this crazy multiply that you curate is, uh, is your job. So what, was, what were the career paths? What were the career steps you took early on? You mean when I got to Korea? Well, I mean, did your artistic, were you already, you know, in a uh, career involving art prior to coming to Korea or did that happen here? It happened in Korea because I was given the opportunity. I actually had like a really strange zigzag path between like art and biology. And so once I got to Korea, I was able to focus more on art. And that was just the most realistic path at the time. How long ago did you come to Korea? Almost five years ago. Mm. And what were you, you came over ostensibly with with some job back then? No, um, I came to Korea to be with my husband. Okay. Um, And then together we knew that we wanted to do something artistic together. And so that was really our goal. Her husband, Albert, is also an artist. Do you remember uh, we looked at some prints and it, uh, it was, I think one was called The Abyss and it had this very heavy metal vibe with like these skeletons and demons. Yeah, and I yeah, think, yeah. yeah, we yeah. Were, is that your husband? That's yeah, that's yeah, my husband. That's, <laughs> what a dark guy. Yeah. But no, no, the thing is, he is like, he is like the nicest, one of the kindest 
nicest, friendliest souls that you ever meet. Well, but I then, guess because like, he works it out in the images. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, excuse me, honey. Yeah. I have to. I got this thing in my head. And, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember we were saying it. It looked like the old. Uh, didn't we say it looked like the old heavy metal comic book? Uh, right. Back in the seventies, or 80s. even way back. I mean, more of Baroque classical style, yeah, really sort of cool, these medieval uh, Dante's Inferno yeah. kind of thing. That's right. I mean, um, you, you were. Were you already married to him when he started drawing all of these, you know, skeletons on fire and things like that, or whatever those images were? Yeah, that was, it was more recent, like in his whole body of work. Mm. Originally, a lot of his work was more political, and it was more conceptually punk. Okay. I mean, you can't, you can't judge somebody artistically, right? Generally speaking, um, what's, what's there is there. Mm-hmm. Do you talk to him a lot about uh, about art and what's kind of coming out of you, uh, coming out of your spirit onto the canvas? Well, we have a lot of philosophical debates about what makes great art, because for Albert, it's very much like about technical ability. Yeah, and for me, I believe like great art is backed by a great idea. Okay. Do artists make good couples? I think it depends, really, like on their ability to compromise and also look at each other's artwork objectively. Yeah. Nice. That's a nice uh, sort of uh, diplomatic answer. It would have been, I mean, it would have been a great for we the old segment. I, in, no, right? I asked him. I yeah. asked him way back. Was yeah, Albert shy or? Yeah, he's a, he's a bit he's a bit uh, shy, but yeah, they, they would have been a great couple to bring on. I know. I remember. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little more uh, persuading to yeah. do. I know. Yeah, that could be like almost. Uh, yeah, uh, the <laughs> art the the couple that uh, makes art together stays together kind mm-hmm. of theme. Um, okay, so so how about art in Korea? You must sort of interface with a lot of uh, Korean artists or want to be artists uh, what's the sort of state or the direction of art in Korea as you experience it on the front lines it's really interesting because I think that there's this really intense duality between what you would consider um, high art or what is typically at museums and high-end galleries which is very much commercial art mm. or these international artists and then you have these sort of like anti-establishment art spaces which have a very diverse range of Korean artists a very diverse range of Korean artists that somehow don't break into the the high end and don't necessarily succeed at the the A leagues, right? right? Why is that? Is it because of sort of uh, the consumer side is still sort of focused on the the bourgeois conception of art? Yeah, and I think it's a, a global feeling that's happening. Is that a lot of artists are falling through the cracks that are really talented or have really great ideas, but they just don't have the right contacts or they don't have the right desirable background. Yeah, I'd like to add on to that. Just with all the interviews that I've met with artists that kind of, we could say, have made it, um, I I found that a lot of young Korean artists, if they are not what's in right now or what's popular, then they'll be like, all right, fine, then I'll take my work abroad. So they'll go ahead and they'll do several shows out of the country. And then then that's when they actually become known internationally. Mm. But also that's when they, they, they catch the Korean eye. Is when it's they're a actually funny thing abroad, about Korea, isn't it? and then they come back. And I was just talking to another artist, and she says, "You know, it's really strange to be considered a Korean artist because because I wasn't an artist in Korea. You didn't think my stuff was good, so I went abroad. But then now they have to rediscover what it is to be Korean artist. So yeah, this is this is true in a number of fields in Korea, isn't it? Um, you know, I guess pop music and various forms of pop culture being the key example. They they don't like you until somebody else likes you, and then they like you hmm. because the other person likes you or the other country likes you or whatever it is. And, and you know, uh, a lot of these young Korean artists, they're, they're catching on to that. And, 
And that's, yeah, maybe they're falling through the cracks or maybe they're literally not here. Maybe they are having a show in, 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 in England or in the mm. States or what have you. And then they'll be back. They'll be back to show their stuff. How are the economics of running a, a, a space like you run? I mean, is that tough? Yeah, I mean, we don't really expect to make income for the, through the art space. And in fact, we run the studio so we can finance and have the opportunity to run the art space. But I know that there's a lot of government money in Korea available for these kind of nonprofit art spaces because I think that the government does see a need to have these kinds of spaces around. Yeah. Help me understand the difference between the studio and the art space. Are those, those are not one and the same. Those are two separate kind of things. Yeah, they're, they're two separate things. And sometimes it, it can overlap just mm. depending on the types of events that we have. And I know definitely for openings, the, the studio is always open and there's always people there. But the studio itself is um, a screen printing studio. So we specialize in screen printing and some alternative printmaking forms. And the art space is the art space. It's set up for exhibition, um, workshops, um, film screenings. It's just kind of the sky's the limit, right? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's an artistic space. They're really, they're really um, utilizing the definition of that, of yeah. that phrase. How right. often do you kind of sit down and set the trajectory for what Crazy Multiply is going to be next? Is it once a quarter or is it, do you have like a yearly arc of what you're doing? All right, this quarter we're going to do whatever, pottery or, or how often do you kind of change strategic direction? I mean, I know we make a yearly plan, but we don't always stick with it. It just depends on the members that are current and like how much time they can devote and what their ideas are. Hmm. Have you seen much of uh, Mark's art? Of course. I see his sketches every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're trying to get Mark big time back into various forms of art. I well, think. Uh, yeah, there might be a little something coming you, up. I, yeah, you yeah, keep yeah. alluding to this yeah, every I know, time. I know. Well, actually, well, uh, we'll get into that later. Um, but I, I think a lot of our listeners are also pretty curious, especially if they're artists. Of course, you work with as a curating team member of Crazy Multiply, but also you're a venue owner as well. Um, so how how does the selection process work when it comes to finding artists? Or you own this gallery, so how do you decide what what kind of artists you want to display or show? Um, it just really depends. Uh, my husband and I both have very different aesthetics and what we're looking for in art, but we're always open for submissions. If there's like a proposal for an interesting exhibition idea, or an artist wants to propose a solo exhibition and send a portfolio, they're always welcome to do so. What are some no nos? If, if I'm an artist that wants to come in and because I've, I've met some young artists and they, they still are pretty hazy on the process of, of contacting Twitter. How, what are some of the, the key things you should do or some key things you shouldn't do? Well, it's like showing up to a job interview. You wouldn't want to show up in sweatpants. I just mean that as a metaphor. Like it's really important to send a professional email with a portfolio and just have the correct tone. It's not necessarily appropriate to contact my husband and I on our personal social media to ah. be asking about exhibitions because those are our personal accounts. Mm. Mm -hmm. So using the right channels is I, I guess artists are not always the best marketers of their own art right um they're not always the most savvy businessmen marketers or so or is that or am i being unfair is that an outdated notion i mean i think i think that comes down to the individual right yeah. you have some artists who are just great with uh establishing rapport and having conversation and and selling selling themselves and and their work and mm. others uh yeah not so much. I think it goes without saying that every artist nowadays has to kind of be a social media jockey, right? You can't be aloof from all of that stuff. I mean, you have to be Sam. You have to be Sam. <laughs> because, I mean, she is an artist, curator, venue owner, 
she's a teacher. She's she's uh you know she leads this uh, coping group. She's the the Renaissance neo neo Renaissance woman. You have to be a hustler. You have to be a Jack or Jane of all trades. I believe. Sam, are you days. a hustler? Yeah, hustler. And there was definitely a time in Korea where I felt like I was. Like on the weekends, it's like, all right, there's like 10 openings. Like we're going to make it to this one at this time. And then we're going to switch and we're going to follow up on these contacts. But now that we do Crazy Multiply and we run this art space, it's much more relaxed to meet new artists. Well, the hustlers come to you now, right? That's true. (laughs) Do you think this idea of uh, art therapy can expand? Can it scale in Korea? I hope so. I did actually meet an art therapist the other day who was talking about like the possibility of having more art therapy in Korea. And I think there's a lot of um, a stigma against mental illness. And the stigma takes a much different way than it does in other countries. And the shape in Korea is that no one really talks about it. Mm. So when people do need help, they're very reluctant to make it known that they need help and to ask for it. Mm. With creative coping, uh, what are the dynamics of the group? Is it like Korean, 50% foreign. What are some of the... The women's group um, is mostly foreign women, but there's more Korean members who are coming and that have expressed interest, and I recently just received some emails about that. Um, The men's group was originally all Korean men, and then Mm. now it's sort of shifting, and it's more foreign men, and I sort of expect the men's group to go back and forth. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you think when you're using art as a creative coping mechanism, is it uh, better to have it be sort of a a personal thing, introspection and solo activity? Or do you think it's uh, more helpful to be sort of a collaborative uh, group thing where you're, you know, you're in a process together? I think it can be very hard to feel self-motivated to do it by yourself, mm. right? Like exercise, like, oh, you have to exercise three or four times a uh, week. and a then comparison. Right. And so if you're in a group of people, you're more likely to do it because there's also the social aspect and there's mm-hmm. the social bonding aspect, which I think is more attractive to people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The appointment aspect too, you know, everybody thinks up. they're going to do yoga at home and then they never do. Yeah. But if they've got a class and they show up and they have sort of accountability, uh, and imagine if you're in a group dynamic, Uh, eventually somebody expects you to produce some art, good or bad, that kind of thing. Absolutely. What kind of visuals do these Korean men produce? Um, It's interesting because there's, I guess it just depends on the personality, like all other groups. Um, Some are really reserved and they don't really feel comfortable making art. So they're very reluctant in their art creation, whereas others, they are creatives in their daily lives. Mm. So they're much more open and very just brave and unashamed of what they're working on. Mm. It'd be very interesting to see. You ought to do, I mean, with their eventual permission, some sort of uh, display, whether it's a social media portfolio or whether it's a, you know, I'd love to see the kind of things that are on uh, Koreans' minds as they work through in a therapy setting uh, artistically. If people want to learn more about Crazy Multiply, where do they go? They can go to crazymultiply.com or check any of our social media channels. But also, they can also check out Mini Print. Yeah, absolutely. And they can check out our website, too, to see all the different workshops that we're running. All right. Get involved. Creative coping. It could be a resource. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much.